0: you got your Bibles. Open them up. We are going to be in Matthew. And I just, you know, as we do transition, I am excited. I'm very, very actually excited because you guys are going to be so blessed with all the different speakers right now that are coming. It's actually quite amazing. Now, we've got a different guest speaker starting even, of course, with Christian next week. He won't be the guest. But after that, Moses is going to be here. His name is Moses, Mosey, actually. Interesting. He'll have to tell you the story on his name. I'll I'll save that for him to share with you. Uh, He'll be here for three weeks sharing. And so to be Christian, and then this gentleman will be here for three weeks. He's actually flying in from Singapore. And then he'll be here for two weeks, three Sundays, basically. And then he's flying to Taiwan to then fill in at a church in Taiwan uh, for a man named Pastor John Lin. So his wife will also be with him, and he also speaks Mandarin. So it'll be uh, really neat. Uh, Maybe you can have a chance to really minister Do some of the families in that way also. So welcome them, please, as we have all these different guests coming. We also uh, have, as we prayed for them, we have two other people coming to serve. So please just uh, welcome them. Uh, We have uh, both of them are actually from Christian's Home Church, which is pretty cool. So Will is coming for six months. And then Renee is also going to be coming shortly for one month. So again, just welcome them and ask them to lunch, ask them to dinner. Maybe if you guys have home service, Bible study invite them over. Um, You'll be blessed. These are some of these guys that are coming. I'm just really jealous almost because you're sitting under the people that I sat under for years that have now, many of them have retired, but now will travel sometimes and fill in into pastoral positions. So it's really amazing. So last week we did cover a lot of scripture and... I think as we covered the scripture, it was even brought up that there are different views on scriptures as we study them. And I shared what I believe is the correct interpretations of the scriptures that we went over. But however, there is some different views on these passages that we even covered last week. So if you want to know more about these verses, that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the elders and the pastors. You can always talk to them, you can always talk to me, or you can talk to one of them. And we, you know, if you have any questions, we can sit down and have coffee. We can open the Bible up, and we can go through and learn more about God's Word together. And we can both grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. And, you know, as a pastor in a church, that's part of the privilege to receive questions. That's a privilege that we are able to do that. And we then are to open the Bible up and respond through the Scripture, Now, we may not always agree on every single interpretation of the Scripture. I will tell you. Maybe without getting into a bunch of muddled mess, we'll just keep it simple and say maybe you're pre-trib and I'm post-trib. I'm actually pre-trib. Maybe it's once saved, always saved. There's many different other areas, though, that we may not always completely agree on. But that's okay because together through the study of the Word, we come together and we study God's Word. And we can talk about that. And it's amazing when you do talk about that. You learn more. You learn more about who Christ is, and you learn more about God's Word. So I do welcome these questions, and all that came up here today, they will also welcome these questions, and they would love to sit down with you and talk to you if you have any questions about an interpretation or a message that was brought forth. So please ask. Again, this is how we grow as pastors, I'll tell you that. If you want to grow in your knowledge and wisdom of the Bible. Be ready to get some questions, because as the questions come on, you will grow in your knowledge of the Word. So thank you for that opportunity that we all have here to do that. So again, we have several pastors here. Use them. Use them. A quick review. Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 12. We looked at 37 verses. As I said, we went through a lot of Scripture. And Jesus, throughout these passages, was continuing to go out and share the good news. And as he went out, he went out with the disciples. And we also read that he went with several different women. And as they went out to minister and to share the good news, they came upon this demon-possessed man who was also mute and blind. Then we remember from the passage, and Jesus then freed this man from this demonic possession. And his hearing and sight, it was restored. It was a miracle that had taken place. And then after Jesus had performed this amazing miracle... He was met with two different reactions. Remember the different reactions that happened? The people questioned, Is this Jesus that just performed this miracle? Is he the Messiah? They questioned in their hearts and their minds. And I believe the Holy Spirit was working. But then there was the other reaction. The reaction of the religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders. And they accused Jesus of performing this miracle, this act, under the power of Satan. Quite an accusation, huh? Jesus then proceeded throughout the scriptures that we studied last week to rebuke these men, these leaders, for their hardened hearts. Jesus explained that it was absolute nonsense that Satan would actually work against himself. Otherwise, he would destroy himself. Then Jesus, through the scriptures, claimed the authority that he was the one who was powerful enough to overcome Satan the strong man. Jesus then continued to explain some very, very powerful truths that anyone that is not with him is actually working against him. And also, we looked at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and how that cannot be forgiven. So last week, we closed with another message. Jesus was talking about a tree, and the fruit and how we are each identified by our fruit and our words that come from our hearts and jesus was very clear remember in verse 37 he said the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you do you profess that jesus is god so today we're going to continue in this story in matthew chapter 12 and we're going to start in verse 38 so please turn there let's pray heavenly father As we dig deep into your word, Lord, as we study this text, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out on this place, Lord. That you would speak to our hearts and minds, Lord. That we would hear from you through the scriptures, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would just speak truth to us through this, Lord. That we'd be able to see the correct interpretation of the scripture. That you would speak to us, Lord, and we'd be able to apply this scripture to our lives, each of us personally, Lord. Lord, I also pray against any distractions, Lord, as we turn to the word and the study of your word as worship before you. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you just bless this time and just pour out on each one of us, Lord, through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Got your Bibles? Matthew chapter 12. Let's just start with verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, We want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Show me a sign. That's the title of my message today. Show me a sign. Jesus had just healed this man just recently before this, who was demon-possessed. And now, not long after this, these religious leaders are saying, Show me a sign. Have you ever asked God for a sign yourself? Have you? Why or what was on your heart as you did this, asking God to show you a sign? Why do you ask? Maybe there's several different times in your life you've said, "Show me a sign." Maybe during different seasons in your life, the reasoning was different. In the NLT Bible, which I'm teaching out of, it adds the leader's reason for asking for the sign. It says that they were asking for a sign to prove Jesus' authority. What do you think? Kind of a paraphrase of that. Were these religious leaders seeking truth or something else? What about you? When you asked for a sign, what were you seeking? Jesus is going to respond to them. Let's read in verses 39 through 40. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Interesting. The story of Jonah is used By Jesus, as a sign given, as proof of who Jesus is. This is the second time in scripture so far that we've read that Jesus has foretold about his death and resurrection. If you turn over to John real quick, we'll see the first time. John 2.19. Many of you are all familiar with this. He says, All right, Jesus replied, Destroy this temple, and in three days... I will raise it up. Now, again, in today's passages, in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, he is foretelling of what is to come. In this mentioning of the story of Jonah, we can see our faith increased, personally. I don't know about you. I think that my faith has increased as I see Jesus mention this story, knowing that this story of Jonah was not some figurative story. It wasn't some story that was used for a teaching, although it is used for a teaching, but it wasn't figurative. It was a true, real event that took place. And Jesus himself now is referencing that. So that in itself, for me, helps me as I grow in my faith to know that what I read in God's word is true. This story really happened. And Jesus mentions it here. I want to look at another point in these Verses, before we move on, how does Jesus refer to these men that he's talking about? Evil, adulterous generation that would demand a miraculous sign. So Jesus' first word he uses is evil. This would mean a people that are wicked and that are of Satan. That's what Jesus is calling these men. I believe he's referring back to Matthew chapter 12. If you Look at verse 30 from last week. Because again, today is a little bit of a continuation of that. Then Jesus continues, and he calls them adulterous generation. Jeremiah does an amazing job of defining this. And so I just want to go to God's word to define what this means. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. But you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. And I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, as we read this, we don't want to forget about the mercy and grace that Jesus always offers. So we can just turn right still in Jeremiah chapter 3 and look at verse 14. He says, Return home, you wayward children, says the Lord, for I am your master. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, one from this town, two from that family, for more ever." You are scattered. Turn back to Matthew and let's continue and read the story and look at verses 41 through 42. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The Queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but she refused to listen. So as you look at these passages, Jesus gives three witnesses. The people of Nineveh, this queen that we know about, and Jesus himself as a witness. Jesus mentioned also in here the ones who has the one that had came to proclaim this message to these witnesses. Also, Jesus mentions. We know first it was Jonah and his teaching who brought that message. Next, we know it was Solomon who had given the wisdom to the Queen of Sheba. And then again, it's Jesus himself. Jesus explains to these religious leaders, and I believe anyone else, that they will condemn themselves if they do not repent. But the scripture says... They refused to listen. As I was studying these passages, I want to share from Warren Worsby. He said that the prophet Jonah was a Jew sent to the Gentiles, and the queen of Sheba was a Gentile who came to visit Solomon, a Jew. I found this interesting that this would happen like this, and that it would be mentioned like this. He was saying that it would be the Gentiles Later, who would stand with Jesus and condemn these Jewish leaders as they face their eternity in hell. Think about what he just said to these Jewish religious leaders. Turn to Revelation. A lot of scriptures today, a lot of quotes today. This ends up that way sometimes. I'm going to read it. It's It's a long passage. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 13. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from its presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. All were judged according to their deeds." This is what Jesus is speaking of here, I believe. It's very interesting. Is Jesus, after this huge rebuke to these men, you think he's done? Let's read. Back in Matthew, chapter 12, look at 43 through 45. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. So the person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Why is this in here? Right in the middle of this rebuke that Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders for accounting his works to Satan, he goes and he's talking about demon, demons and demonic possessions. It's interesting, huh? He's sharing this, this nature for these demons to come back. How in context is this related? What do you think? Many believe, and I see this, that this, these words, these few verses are seen as a parable. And that it's, this parable is directed at these religious leaders especially at Israel. And it's likely a continuation of what Jesus had been teaching if you look back in the passage. If you look back to Matthew chapter 12 that we studied last week, 25 through 29. I read on this, and David Guzik, a commentary I really like, he says, in context, the main point of Jesus was not upon principles of demonic possession. He explained the seriousness of rejecting him as completely as the religious leaders had. I was also reading, I read a lot on this, because this is interesting passages. I really studied up on this. And I was reading another commentary, and it was saying, and I'm not going to quote it, but I liked what it said. It was saying that it's commonly believed that this evil spirit, this demonic spirit, was not cast out in the verses that we're reading as Jesus had just done right in the verses that we studied last week Jesus had cast out a demon from this man but in this instance that it's talking about it says look right back it says when an evil spirit leaves a person so it's not necessarily saying for sure in this instance that spirit was necessarily cast out even but for some reason we're not sure the text doesn't say this demon or the demonic presence have now left this person then it says here, the demon in the passage then returned to the person since it couldn't find rest. But when it returned, it found the house had been cleaned up. Now, we don't know or exactly how some of this exactly works. And I don't believe this happens every time that, every time that a demon would leave a person. They would necessarily repossess the person if they leave. I don't think this is some absolute and this is exactly how this works. However, Jesus is making a very, very important point a warning for each of us about this spiritual destination of these men and anyone else as these religious leaders that believed as they did. We know in this story, when the demon did leave, however that worked, the house had been cleaned up, right? But it was still empty. The house was empty. It was void. This is the main point. This is the problem and the point of this teaching from Jesus. The problem is not so much with the demons as the condition of the house. We may clean up our lives, each of us, but we will be empty without the presence of Jesus. In another study of the Bible, it says, If this evil generation continues to reject Jesus, even after witnessing his divine authority over demons... Their condition will be worse than if they'd ever, they had never seen him. Jesus had just said that this generation, speaking of them, will be seven times more evil than the last. So if we look at history, what happened? After these Jewish religious leaders continually rejected Jesus as their Messiah, what happened? Jesus' words were fulfilled. They were fulfilled. made me wonder. I wonder today if if many people today has the same problem as these religious leaders. Having a, a clean house, but void of the Spirit of God. I think many people view this backwards. Don't we get this? They view it backwards. When the house is filled with the Spirit of God, he then removes all that is not pleasing to him. Preparing the house then for his works. We don't prepare a clean house for God. But he is the one that sanctifies us. That makes sense? Very important. We don't prepare a clean house for God, but it is he who sanctifies us. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 47. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd... His mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. So yes, Jesus had brothers. This story kind of turns a little bit. It changes now, right? Jesus' own family, as he's speaking these very serious rebukes and talking about all these serious things, they have now felt that they need to come to him as he's rebuking these leaders. Now, we're given a little more context of why possibly Jesus' family has came in Mark. If We want to turn over to Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. One time Jesus entered a home, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to, to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. A little more context. Again, that was in Mark chapter 3. I believe that Jesus' family had become concerned with Jesus. They believed that if they did not intervene at some point, something bad was going to happen to Jesus. Because of what he was saying. I mean, look what he was saying to these people. These religious leaders of the day. He was telling them that they were of Satan and many other things. And so they have become concerned. It raised a question in my mind, this interesting verses. Has your family, your own families, have they ever questioned your faith in Jesus? Let's just start with that question. Have they ever questioned your faith in Jesus? Or have they ever questioned what God has called you to do? Has your family, here's the point, has your family in love, I mean this, had concern for you because of the life you're living for Jesus? Mine has. Many of you I can see. But they mine, I'm very blessed. My family also knows that I'm living for Jesus and I'm following the calling that Jesus has placed in our lives. And so they pray for us in love, but they are greatly concerned at times and some of the things we do. Now some of you I know are not as fortunate. Maybe some of your families that aren't here Maybe your family does not support you in your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of your families support your faith in Jesus Christ, but do not support you in the calling that God has placed on your life to serve him in whichever way he's called you to. This doesn't mean your family doesn't love you. That's not what Jesus is saying, and that's not what we're implying in any which way. In fact, they probably really deeply care for you. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would bless them our families and the ones that love us Maybe it's even friends that would bless them with a understanding from the Holy Spirit that they would have peace And love and knowing that God is directing you and protecting each one of you Jesus has more to say look at 49 through 50 Jesus asked who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said look These are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus asked the question Who is our family? As I look out to all of you, who is our family? This is not taking away from our biological family in any way. I want to be clear. This is not taking away from our biological family. This was not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is telling each one of us how blessed we are that when we each place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are part of such a bigger family, a spiritual family, a heavenly family, the family of God, and we are now children of God. Jesus closes with this, with an invite, doesn't he? After all of this has taken place, right, over the last two weeks, he closes with an invite to all that hear, to that anyone who will do the will of the Father that comes to faith in Jesus, the one who has died for each one of us and our sins, the one that was buried but was raised to life again, if you place your faith in Jesus, you are then a part of God's family with all the privileges that come with that and that inheritance that is given to each one of us of eternal life in heaven. As we close up this message, I asked you earlier about a sign. Have you ever asked for a sign? Again, I see two reasons, really, why someone would ask for a sign. There's probably maybe more, but two general reasons. One is a person that's truthfully seeking God and seeking answers. Maybe in faith or a situation, whatever the case would be. The second is to mock or ridicule God. Such as, if God was really real, then do this or do that. Not expecting God to really perform a miracle. I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 18. We're going to look at a few verses here, 18 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God, as the Scriptures say. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and disregard the intelligence, the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Amazing. A commentary said here, Matthew Henry, old-time commentary, said, signs were granted to those who desired them to confirm their faith, as Abraham and Gideon, but denied to those who demanded them to excuse their unbelief. I myself personally, before surrendering my life to Jesus, I asked for signs. I explained to God, show me a sign, prove who you are, and if you do that, I will become a Christian and serve you. This was me. Remember that. Because we must remember Jesus' teaching that we just went over. It applies to us as well, doesn't it? Of course. We each, I believe, I know this for a fact, have already been given enough sign, haven't we? Through the Word, We've been given a sign. We've given proof through his birth, death, and his resurrection of who Jesus Christ is. I, personally, needed to accept what God had already done and already shown me. It wasn't another sign that I needed. I needed to surrender my life to him. It wasn't, again, it wasn't about more proof or more signs. It was me believing that Jesus was who he said he was. My problem was simple. I wanted to be God. I wanted to be God of my own life. But until I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life, no sign was going to change my heart. It wasn't. I know this because in God's grace, he did give me many signs. Each time I prayed, he answered. That didn't change my heart. My heart needed to change. I need to seek him. I want to close today's message with a quote. A lot of quotes today. This one is from Warren Worsby. And then we're going to look at one verse. There is a personal application. It is not enough to clean house. We must also invite in the right tenant. The Pharisees were proud of their clean houses, but their hearts were empty. Mere religion or reformation will not save. There must be a regeneration, the receiving of Christ into the heart. We cannot be neutral about Jesus Christ. I want to close with a verse as the worship team heads up. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 through 22. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on his throne. Verse 22. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would just speak to each one of us, Lord. Just open our hearts, Lord, that we would hear the good news, we'd hear the gospel, Lord, that we would quit asking for signs and look at the ones that you've already given us, Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, and what you've done for each one of us, Lord. Lord, let us just submit to you, Lord, come before you, Lord, and surrender our lives before you, realizing that you came, Lord, and you gave your life for each one of us, Lord. But then you defeated sin, you defeated death, Lord, and you rose from the grave, Lord, and you were resurrected, Lord. So that is a sign that we have, Lord that we join in in that resurrection, Lord. We we join in in that victory, Lord. And the signs are all around us, Lord, in creation itself, Lord. We don't need more signs, Lord. We need a surrendered heart. So, Lord, I pray that you break the hearts of those that don't know you. Just draw them to you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the signs that you've given us. And I thank you for that grace and mercy that you gave me and everyone in this room, Lord, as we cry out to you. In Jesus' name, amen.